I have looked forward to this being with you for the last 12 hours. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, um, I uh, years ago, uh, I was a musician, and um, every time I pick up the guitar again and can't play that B as pretty as it used to be, it's a very disappointing day. And uh, I, I just want to think it's, it's really cool. I've known Preston for a while and known of Sacrament Church from the east side days to this. And uh, it's a really beautiful thing that you guys are gathering and doing what you do. Band was awesome. And I know you guys are probably in it on a weekly basis, so you don't really think this is like who, who you are and what you do. Um, but from the outside looking in, like this is a beautiful space. And I can just sense the presence of the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. So I just, thanks be to God. And, you know, on this day, uh, Palm Sunday, a few years ago when I started teaching uh, on the rhythms of the church, the, the lectionary, um, which is a concept that a lot of people don't really understand. Many of you may not fully get what it is, but instead of just whiteboarding, what do we want to talk about for the year? You actually adhere to a rhythm that the church has been practicing since the beginning and I know it ticks a lot of people off. I don't know, God forbid. Um, but one of the things that um, I, I love about this is, is when you are immersed in the narrative of Jesus, everything changes. Though be it slowly, sometimes uh, we may take three steps forward and six steps back on occasion. That is just our life uh, and in our shells that we have. Just uh, a couple of things I want to kind of just talk to, to you guys, with you guys about uh, Palm Sunday. Jesus approaches people waving palm branches. We get that part. And there are cloaks, there are coats being thrown on the ground as uh, Jesus comes into the city. This common, it's a common image we get with, with uh, Palm Sunday, even as we set out side last uh, just a few minutes ago. It's, it's weird for some people. They don't really get the whole narrative of Palm Sunday and what it means. Or they know that it's the beginning of Holy Week, but they're celebrating Jesus. And then just a few days later, we, you know, people kill him. Yeah, it's an upside down story. It's not normal in our certain types of context and narratives. Nothing about it is normal. But these cries for Hosanna are cries from these people for Jesus, this Messiah, to save them, to save them. And we sing a song as beautiful as Brooke wrote, I'm thinking, guessing she wrote, writes all those beautiful songs. It's like there's this idea that we can still sing Hosanna, right? But when we start understanding that we're crying out, God, save us, we're placing our faith in you to save us, that changes a little bit. Every time I hear that song, you know, it's... Uh, it just kind of like, wow, we're really, it's, it's beautiful to sing this Hosanna, but really, what are we crying out for, really? Uh, you know, palm branches, a lot of you guys might, might know some of this. I figured out uh, several years ago when I was doing some um, exegeting and for my master's studies, and I was looking at what the meaning of palm branches was. I, I, I nerded out, I'm a five on the Enneagram, so it's like... Um, I just, I geek out about everything, but eh, just so don't freak out. I'm also like a really high four. So there is something about that that helps balance the weirdo and then turns me into another weirdo, but 
because I don't want to be like anything else, anybody else. But there's this, uh, there's this Near East, Far East idea that the palms are actually originating from that it's the sacred in some of these regions. And in age, ancient Egypt, it represents immortality. Right, so there's, I mean, we see from the epistle reading, the, the Philippians reading today, where there's, we see these parallels with the gospel reading, right? Of crying out, there's this, God will save us. And, and, and we just see these overlapping things throughout history. Ancient Greece, we see the palm branches were an award for someone who was victorious. In the old Olympian games, it was one of the main symbols for the award that you're receiving from competing. It's really interesting. And the palm was adopted by Christian iconography to represent the victory of the martyrs. We hinted at that in one of the prayers, but victory also in the spirit over the flesh. Those kind of go, if you've ever looked at any orthodox iconography, yeah, man, I, I totally nerd out about that because it is a sermon in an image. Like that's the whole point when people weren't really able to, to have access to good speaking and, and orders or educated orders, there was a beautiful image that said the story itself. That's why I love going into uh, Orthodox spaces to just soak it in. Because sometimes, man, I would much rather just look at an image than hear somebody talk for 45 minutes. Or a podcast, when I look at it, man, it says an hour. I'm like, no, 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 I don't need to listen to you for an hour. Uh, maybe you can press pause and go to the bathroom and stuff, so that kind of helps it, but geez. But then since, since a victory signals uh, to the end of a, a conflict and a competition, that's, this palm actually also began to symbolize peace. So it's like you, you were embattled in something, but then on the back end of it, you have a symbol of peace to represent where you are now. And then in Islam, it is often associated, the palm, as part of paradise, referred to as a symbol of paradise. So it's really interesting even how that overlaps in the big scope of the Christian. So in this crowd, in this story, we can imagine these people. Uh, we've seen it in really bad movies. Um, we've seen it in imagery of people just yelling and they're throwing their cloaks. They're doing this these, these acts, and they're asking really to be saved from the Roman Empire, right? That there's a lot of oppression and a lot of really dark acts going on, and these people are hungry. They're, they're thirsty. They're, they just want to be freed from this oppression. And they see this as a political cry. They're, they're calling out to, against something and to be saved, and I think that's a really interesting thing. This, the Messiah, they're, they're acknowledging if there's any chance that this Jesus is the Messiah, Hosanna. Like if there's any chance. And I think that that's an interesting concept from a desperate posture. These people are desperate in this or they wouldn't have been saying it. The act of throwing your cloak and your coat on the ground is a sign of homage. It's uh, submission. You're throwing uh, something that, like, that you're wearing and you're putting on your person 
and you're laying it on the dust and the rocks as a sign of almost laying yourself. This represents you. You're letting a donkey with a man walk over it. You guys remember old school movies um, where, this is so foreign to us now, you've seen these, uh, these chivalrous gentlemen that would throw their jackets on the ground to let the lady walk across, whether it be a puddle or something. Like, it's a strange idea for me to throw my All Saints jacket on the floor and like let my wife walk across because I'm pragmatic and thinking, that's going to cost a lot of money or I might even ruin it. But it's like, it, that, that's how intense that imagery is. It's that idea of knowing that what you're doing is you're offering this on the floor, on the ground, and it may be ruined. You may pick it up. You, you may not find it again. It may just be lost in the crowds. It's an interesting sacrifice. It's, a, it's, it's an offering. And I, the, the desperation of these people, uh, they were crying out for liberation, to be saved from the way that they were and the way that they are in hopes of what could be. And their, their ideas of hopes were probably really, really different than ours. Um, it's always very difficult watching the narrative that we see in Scripture to try to put it into our 2019 where everything's a hashtag and everything is now and entitled like an easy. I know that that's not for everybody, like, but for most of us to have the privilege of having a life kind of handed to us, the worst day that I have is whether or not my Wi-Fi works well. That's the worst day. Maybe my kid does something that he gets in trouble for, which is usually every other day. But there's, there, there's things, it's all about context. I know some people that don't know whether or not they're going to wake up to an empty bed the next morning because their marriage is that turbulent. I know some that do struggle paying their bills because of health care debt that they are worried about whether they're a kid. And I know a parent just as two weeks ago that their child lost their health care from the state. I sit there and I look at that and I go, my Hosanna looks really different than what that Hosanna looks like. And when we look in this context, it should awaken our souls and hearts to see the bigger picture to see these people where they were as much as we can possibly unearth what was going on there. It really changes the tone in singing and saying Hosanna. But if we were to start looking at God save us, we, which you don't really necessarily use that verbiage much, right? Um, but what is that? What is that? What, would, what are we saying God save us from what? And I was thinking about this last night. Um, I was in Birmingham speaking at a Montessori conference, which is the most for thing anybody could ever have. Um, 
in the middle of like all of these mega churches and here I am in this grassy knoll um, teaching to these hippies. Um, and it's this really interesting idea that I was talking to them about what are your needs? Like your needs for your children, your schools, your, your programs, those kinds of, we all have them. And really there's always something in the way for what they're hoping for. There's always something that they need to get to that hope, to get to that, ah. And it may not be a save us posture, right? They're, they're hoping for certain things. But when we start really kind of putting a big picture frame on this, we're saying maybe we're asking to be saved from our addictions, you know, our, our clutter, save us from our busyness, Man, our technology, maybe save us from our religions. Um, God knows, save us from our politics. Save us from our greed. And inevitably what we're saying is like, save us from ourselves. I, uh, I love, so I, I, I love uh, a contemplative Lifestyle. I love a contemplative way of living, of seeing the world. I love to think and process and meditate before responding. Because if there's not a waiting period there and a stillness, then there's a reaction. And there's a difference between reaction and response. That's why we call the first responders, first responders, not first reactors. Those are the people that see it in the, on the fly and freak out at the sight of blood, right? And they're like, they're reacting. There's a completely different way of living when we are postured with stillness and peace and hope. The way we look at the world is a little slower and it may not be any less chaotic or less busy or scheduled. Like I freak out when I look at my calendar on occasion. There's a color and a shape and a thing everywhere and I look at it and I, and I just, weirds me out. You know, and so, and I've, I've been talking to therapists about it. Like, I, I want to do the work that I want to do, but I also want to have peace when I know that I have to do this. Yeah. There's an over-scheduled, over-clutteredness about our life. I need to be saved from that. I think many of us probably do. I want to be saved by, from my worldview, even my idea of the world is fragmented and and shaken all around me. The way I want to see the world come together, the way I want to see uh, America work, the way I want to see us learn, the way I want to see us humble ourselves and be the the people that maybe God has blessed in some capacity for a reason. But I need to trust. My posture needs to go from this grip and holding my cloak tightly to letting it go where I can be the change I want to see in the world. There is an opportunity for us on a daily basis to loosen our grip on our cloaks, on our prayers on our hearts to save, like to, for us to voice the need to be saved. 
A friend of mine who I have been very mindful of over the last two weeks for some weird reason, I haven't seen her in a while. But about three years ago, she was our kids pastor, our luminous kids pastor. And she was kind of like, really, she was the only one that was willing to kind of do this work. She needed to get all this, the, the, the activities together for the kids. When we first launched our church, planted, it was like we had like eight kids, but they needed something. We, we knew if we just set them loose with us, I mean, it would be all over the map. Who knows? Sometimes it would be good. Sometimes it would be like, okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to pay the church back for that. And, you know, and, and so um, my friend stood up and said, let me do this. I, I would love to do this. And it was such a gift. And we started uh, during Lent. Don't ever plant a church during Lent. Like, that's the weirdest thing. It was, uh, I thought it was, well, let's just do it. And we did, and we were like, well, what did we just do? Um, because around Easter, it was kind of like everything started lifting, and people were like, oh, you guys are doing church. Okay, cool. So we kind of, you know, we got about three or four weeks in and kind of figured some things out. But I remember my friend just kind of like really uh, loving life. She was thriving in that. And it was a surprise to her. And quite frankly, it was a surprise to me. It was a surprise for most of us. And about a year in, I started noticing her starting to kind of fatigue. And so we would get together and talk. And we were at uh, the 12th South Frothy Monkey at the time. And you guys know that. It's always a really busy space. And, but it was like I was sitting there with her. And she sat down and she began to just weep. <laughs> And I wasn't wearing a collar, so it totally looked like, you know, this creepy older guy trying to break up with this younger girl. And I was like, this is not going well. I don't know what to do here. And so I just kind of leaned in and I was like, I, you've got to spend some time here unpacking this for me. How can I help? What's going on? And it was, it was just like instantaneous, just like we, the, the space began to sense like, there was a holiness about being there together and talking about what we were talking about. So it was like, it just kind of, her vessel cracked and began to just kind of let out what was going on in her life. And uh, I said, uh, you know, what, what it was, to, to not betray confidence there, you don't know her, but you could do your research because there's Google. Um, but there's, there's this idea that she had in her mind about, the way she wanted to see her life at this time. And it just wasn't even close. And I gave her what I felt was pretty decent advice. And I gave her a couple of, of things to think about. And I didn't give her books and a list of things and a list of podcasts to go listen to. I gave her a couple of thoughts. And I was like, take that, meditate on that. I know that she was She's a brilliant yogi. She is actually instructed in doing all of that. So I was like, just use this in your space when you're together in your time. And, uh, and I can honestly say here today, um, she keeps in touch with me just because I didn't try to convince her about anything. I gave her some breadcrumbs uh, to lead her to the water. And I wasn't going to be able to make her drink the water. It's not my job. It's not our jobs. It's our jobs to curate and help people find the water, this living water that saves us from ourselves. And then 
we begin to understand what it is to let go of our cloaks, to put our cloaks on the ground. When you have a background or a, a, a construct in your Christian faith that says, have a conversion experience, Jesus saved you, awesome, now go and do all the stuff that you're supposed to do. Does that sound weird to anybody? You feel like we're missing anything? There's a huge portion of formative process that happens that we just don't get in our modern approach to, to faith in Christianity. It's a really, really difficult thing to undo. That's why we see so much deconstruction and so much reassessment. We see a lot of people leaving the faith because it says so many other things that have nothing to do with Jesus. And then we have an unfortunate tendency to misrepresent Jesus. And why in the world would anybody ever have a posture of wanting to throw down their cloak for that misrepresented Jesus? It doesn't happen. And so that's where we are. That's our reality. And there's some people that are thriving and love Jesus in such a way that it just permeates out of their being. I know some of those people. I want to know them better. I randomly had an interaction with a lady at a coffee shop that I had a caller on that day. I, I do that once a week, like during the week, and then I do it on Sundays. That's kind of like my thing. I make myself do it um, because it's the conversations. You know, you get mega church world, people see a caller, they go, oh my God, a Catholic, run. <laughs> and then because all they see is, you know, the stuff, you're like, well, I'm Catholic little C but you are too, whether you know it or not. And so, of course, I walk around crossing myself and freak people out. So, <laughs> so that's such a four thing to say. Um, but one of the things that I love about where we are in this story is that everything that we think should be happening is tweaking out. And it's upside down. We see it from a different angle. We understand the big picture. We have the luxury of knowing the whole narrative here. We understand where we're at on Palm Sunday. We know where we're heading. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Sunday. We get the privilege of knowing. In this context, it looks even worse. It's more, it's more strange because they don't know the fullness. Those that know the prophecies might be holding on to that faith that, oh, this is gonna play out and we have to have faith. But we also recognize that when we get to that narrative in the gospels of the crucifixion and the whole trial and the whole thing, like we understand people are losing that. They, they, haven't, they don't even think about the prophet's words. They don't think about those promises. They don't even think about what Jesus said. He's telling that this is coming and they in their moment, in a very human moment, they're distraught. We see that. Today, I guess, uh, our, what gives us hope isn't in the masses and the, the opinions of everyone that offers it. Um, but 
it's quite different and quite unique, as the same as these narratives and these stories. It just is odd. We find hope, we find peace, we find what saves us in the subversiveness of the kingdom. We see it in the subtleness. We see it in the quiet. We see it in the stillness. That's quite different than, you know, writing it in the sky and buying billboards saying that Jesus is here, come. It's different. It's countercultural. Jesus came and made the word flesh. He came and made the word real. We get caught up sometimes in how the word is misrepresented or how it's mistranslated. And we don't just bypass some of that tension and just go to Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He says that no one comes to the Father but through me. And that for us might feel narrowing when you complete the, the, the finish. It's one thing to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and end it there because that's beautiful. And I think that's where we probably need to start, especially in our presentation of the gospel. It's one thing to have a conversion of understanding that and acceptance of that and saying, okay, I'm devoting my, my life to this way it's another thing then to be formed and understand what that means to, okay, no one comes to the Father but by me. That, see, there's, that, that works together. They don't work at odds. But in our way of living, there is a, that conversion idea of coming and acknowledging our need for saving. And then there's a time to feast and fill. That's why we are people, whether we know it or not, we're people of fasting and feasting. We just are. And then the, the calendar helps us do that. And then eventually we are compelled, even as contemplative as many people are, which is a good thing for the soul and for formative process, we are compelled to go and be the church. The church, the liturgia, the liturgy, meaning the work of the people. In our parish, we say we practice the liturgy so that we can be the liturgy. And that's the whole point, right? But you don't miss the front end and the middle. You don't just run to the back and just get there for, let's go, let's go. With that being said, I, I hope that something in this has resonated with you. I pray that you would meditate on it. You would take it and, and hold it loosely in your hands and in your hearts and your minds and ask the Spirit to do what the Spirit can do. I ask that with my parish every week. And because I know in that space, I can prepare the most rocking, like homily ever. But until the Lord really illuminates that, it is just one dimensional. And the Spirit makes things so much more robust and real and multidimensional. I pray that that resonates with you. I, I do want um, to just provide just a little bit of space before we affirm our faith with a creed. So if you would, just um, have a prayerful state, your eyes closed and just 
be mindful of your, your breathing and just your, your presence here now, just for a moment. Holy God, we, we ask that these words of my mouth and these meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We acknowledge that you are our rock and our redeemer. To the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.